Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> Tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Rosie just got home from work, which was an hour longer shift than she's used to, so... Ten hour day. Yep, she's pretty spent, but she's so graciously letting me make her record, so thank you. Mm-hmm. We had a pretty exciting weekend, didn't we? We did. It was very cool. Yeah, we actually got to meet the person that we're talking about tonight, Sarah Turney. She was super nice, and it's really fun to hang out with. She's a really cool person, so... Yeah, very cool meeting you, Sarah. Yes, so we're going to be talking about her tonight. Also, be sure, if you haven't, go listen to her podcast, Voices for Justice, and we'll also be putting the promo for that at the end of the show. Did you have a good time this weekend? (laughs) Yeah. Chicago was really cool. My favorite part was probably the tiki snack shack pontoon that we stumbled on. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, the waters there looks like, it's like the Caribbean almost. Yeah, Lake Michigan's super tealish. Maybe because of it being July? I don't know. Maybe. It was nice and sunny. But we're going to actually talk about our weekend in more detail over on Patreon. Our adventures. It's not up yet, but we're going to put it up sometime mm-hmm. soon. Just going into more detail on that. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about in the case you're big interested. cheese for those of... Wow, that's burrito. Okay. Man, did he get his, his snacks? Yeah, he's, he should be fine. He's, he's just, just excited that we're recording again? Yep. Yeah, it has been a while since we recorded because we were in Chicago, so this is a bit more of a... It's not going to be a long episode Mm -hmm. because we've had a very busy week, but we still wanted to give you guys something, and we wanted to talk about this amazing person that's been working to just find the truth about what's happened to her sister. So this is part three of Alyssa Turney, but we're going to be focusing on Sarah. She's absolutely the closest person to this case, and she currently runs the justiceforalyssa.com website. Also, just started the podcast we mentioned, Voices for Justice. Police don't want to prosecute him without physical evidence of the actual murder. But on her website, she has a post titled, Five Reasons Why I Know My Father Killed My Sister, Alyssa Turney. I mean, those are powerful words coming from someone so close to the case. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to delve into that article and share it with you guys. And then we also... Well, I talked to Sarah on the phone before we actually met her and just asked her some questions about how it's all affected her. So, Rosie, will you read that article for us? Yes, I'll start. I often get asked why I think my father killed Alyssa, and it's a fair question. But when I'm asked, my mind explodes into a thousand different thoughts and memories that piece together my strong conviction. When researching my father's life, you could easily find yourself going back to decades before Alyssa was born. And it's important to understand all of the insane circumstances that led up to the point in which Michael Turney killed Alyssa. But it can be daunting. In an attempt to educate as many people as possible about this case, I realized I needed to simplify it. So although there are many more, Here are my top five pieces of evidence against my father for the murder of my sister, Alyssa Turney. So number one is the abuse. And be sure to go listen to part one and two if you haven't yet before you listen to this because we go into a lot more detail about what the whole story is. And this article will reference different points um, from what we talked about the last couple of weeks. So... Rosie, you want to talk about that first point? Mm -hmm. The evidence that Alyssa was most likely being abused for the majority of her life is overwhelming and heartbreaking. There were over 20 statements given to the police stating that Alyssa was being physically and sexually abused by our father. These statements were provided by friends, family, and a teacher of Alyssa's that our father was dating. There are also letters written by Alyssa describing the abuse. The relationship our father had with Alyssa is commonly described by those who knew her as one closer to an abusive boyfriend rather than a father figure. He was extremely possessive, often sitting in the parking lot of Alyssa's part-time job to ensure that she was there or she was where she was supposed to be. And you can actually see the video of that. Sarah posted it on her YouTube channel of the video that her dad took while Alyssa was working. Um, it's really creepy. 
He constantly warned her friends and their parents of how she was gullible and unable to take care of herself. He also required Alyssa to sign behavioral contracts that included a clause stating that he never sexually or physically abused her. Approximately a week before Alyssa disappeared, Child Protective Services received a call from her father stating that his stepdaughter Alyssa was going to call them and falsely accuse him of sexually abusing her so he would buy her a car. He acknowledges this, but states that he only called to ask what he could do when a parent is falsely accused of abuse. It should be noted that Alyssa in fact had a car previously that was sold because she was afraid to drive and that our father constantly offered to buy her another so she could help drive me to school and run errands. My father did not display this behavior with any of his other five children. This abuse and the fear of it becoming public knowledge is what I believe to be his strongest motive to murder Alyssa. Below is a video of a disturbing interaction between Alyssa and our father. Yeah, and if you go visit her website, justiceforalyssa.com, you can see that video. Um, we talked about it last week, but I believe it's him calling her a stupid moron. Mm. I remember reading that from our outline. Yeah. So, do you want me to read the next part? Sure. All right. So, means and opportunity. Sarah writes, Not only did our father have the motive, but he also had the means and opportunity. Our father took Alyssa out of school early that day and told no one. And he did it in a very strategic day, the last day of school. This would ensure her being missed would stay quiet. No panic at the school, no vigils, no students needing to go to the counselor to talk, nothing. I was on a field trip at a water park that day, so he knew I wouldn't ask him to pick me up early from school, which happened often. He had a large time span to murder and dispose of Alyssa's body from approximately 11 a.m. to as late as 7 p.m. One witness reports our father purchasing a large amount of lye around the time of Alyssa's disappearance. He has acknowledged this purchase. Huh. Well, what, what do you need lye for? Um, it's a pretty strong chemical. I can't remember what they use it for, but I know it like burns your skin. and mm-hmm. So I don't know why he would need lye. Um. He said, she says, he had a vast knowledge of the desert and is familiar with countless desert areas. Again, he did work in law enforcement for a while. So, despite his claims of being ill, my father has always been physically strong and was recently evaluated as having the body of a 45-year-old at the age of 70. Wow. So the act of murder and disposing of a body would not have been difficult for him at the age of 53. At the time Alyssa went missing, her father owned two identical trucks. This is an interesting detail. One he hid from his six children, and these trucks were both sold soon after Alyssa's disappearance. The identical? This exact same kind of truck? Yeah. so weird. And one was a secret truck? Like, why would anyone ever need that and have to keep it a secret from your kids, you know? Right. So that's, there's so many sketchy little details about this, this situation. Mm-hmm. You want to read part three? Mm-hmm. Surveillance failure. The amount of surveillance equipment that seemingly failed on Alyssa's last day in the home is too many to reason to reasonably be called a coincidence. Our home had multiple surveillance devices, including a passive recording system on the home phone that recorded all phone calls coming in and going out. This was a system that my father had maintained since before I was born. The other devices were cameras that recorded to a VHS tape automatically. One camera was hidden in the living room vent facing our couch, the other in our driveway, capturing the main door used for the home. We have no video from Alyssa's last day, and we have no audio from the phone call that our father alleges Alyssa made a week later from California. My father has stated that all of these devices failed. 
He's also stated that he did, in fact, have the video surveillance from Alyssa's last day, but, refu but refused to give it to the police, stating that there was nothing of interest on the tape. How could he possibly determine that there's nothing of interest? Like, very, very odd. Any video of Alyssa that day at all would be pertinent to this case. Right. Because they can determine a lot from that. Whether it's her demeanor or what she was doing, where she was going. So, especially when he says he left her at home while she was upset and then she was gone. Mm -hmm. It's like any video in the home that day should have her on it. Right. Yeah, so it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason he should dispose of that. I mean, even here's the thing. Even if there was nothing pertinent to solving the case, what about sentimental value? That's the last video you have of your daughter that went missing. Mm -hmm. Why would you throw that away mm -hmm. if you actually cared about her? You know? That's something you'd think that you'd hold on to forever is the last video you have of your missing daughter. Right. So let's get into the next part, the lies and deceit. The amount of lies my father has told about Alyssa's disappearance are seemingly endless, and the evidence of him acting with deceit is strong. Alyssa was reported missing around 11 p.m. on the day she went missing. My father casually called the police stating that Alyssa was gone, but she had left a runaway note, and he believed that she ran away to her aunt's house in California. Contrarily, is that how you say that? I believe so, yeah. Okay. He instantly caused a panic within the family and among her friends with a sense of urgency for her safety. Yeah, so that's kind of a conflict. Like, he was super laid back when it came to any involvement the law enforcement had. People who actually, you know, that's their life is trying to help people that are in these situations. But he only caused a stir within the family, which to me, is evidence that he was trying to get everyone that knew him and loved him to believe that he was really concerned about her. Right, But with the police, he wanted to put them at ease so they didn't take it too seriously. I mean, he had picked Sarah up around 7-ish, and he was having Sarah try to call Alyssa, and neither of them could get through, so there was at least four hours... That he didn't call the police? Right. Like, why would he be panicking with Sarah trying to call Alyssa, but then not call the police until 11 p.m.? It's ridiculous. As a former member of law enforcement, it's reasonable to believe he would know how to report a missing or a person missing in such a way that it would spark interest from the police. And also how to report a person missing in such a way that would cause no concern at all. Mm-hmm. This act, the fact that a police officer never came to our home that day to see the cameras, to ask about the footage, the see, to see the painfully obvious red flags is what caused us to lose all physical evidence in this case. The yeah, oh, the, sorry. No, it's all right. I just wanted to say, like, that's, that's such, so baffling to me that because he was like, yeah, she ran away and she left a note, so she's probably fine. I just wanted to report this as a technicality just so I can say I reported it. You know, it's like I'm surprised that they didn't look into it at all, you know? Like, it it's almost feels like the perfect way to get away with, for a parent to get away with harming their children is, Say they just ran away and they'll probably be back. Mm -hmm. Because if the police aren't going to investigate it, what good is reporting it anyway? Right. And when you're a teenager, too. Yeah. It's the right age to play it off as. Yeah, exactly. And they had the note that was in Alyssa's handwriting but didn't make much sense for this particular situation, which I believe Octavia uh, dived deep or dove, dove <laughs> sorry dove deeper into the letter on her podcast missing Alyssa. so um but 
yeah, there's so many things that just don't make sense. The traffic cameras, phone records, school records, all gone due to the seven-year delay in investigating this case. My father knew exactly what he was doing. He never told the family that he took Alyssa out of school early that day. In fact, he told conflicting stories about Alyssa's last day. One, that she had run away with a biker. One, that she never went to school that day at all. He even told a neighbor that Alyssa went to go live with relatives in California for the summer. Soon after Alyssa was gone, my father told one of my brothers that two assassins from the Electrical Union killed Alyssa and buried her body in Desert Center, California. He also stated that because of this, he was forced to kill the two men. However, he continued to tell the rest of the family that she was still missing and appeared to be looking for her. See, this, when you see all of these, you know, things that Michael said as if he knew what happened to her and how they all contradict each other, when you see them all right next to each other like this, it just sounds crazy. Stupid. Like he's obviously lying. Mm hmm. He refused to give his DNA to the police. He has always and continues to refuse a formal interview with the police. However, he states that he will meet with them under a slew of conditions, including the meeting would be conducted on live television. Oh, jeez. He would have the capability to interrogate his entire family, the judge in his bomb case, John Walsh, and the two detectives from the Phoenix Police Department. What? Michael wants to interrogate people? Yeah, that doesn't make... Why would anybody get those special privileges? That the aforementioned people would be given polygraphs administered by Canadian operators. <laughs> okay. He's just being difficult. Below is a clip from ABC News in which my father speaks for himself. Yeah, again, there's a link to that video where he's talking and... You know, just the more you listen to this guy talk, at times he can be really charismatic and, like, you believe the things he's saying. And this happens time again. Like, he was on the Missing Alyssa podcast, and then on the first episode of Sarah's podcast, she has a conversation with him. That's most of the episode is her having a conversation with him, and he's so manipulative. Like, the whole time he was playing so calm and like you know trying to i don't know get inside sarah's head mm -hmm. it was really frustrating how he just had no interest in doing anything else for Alyssa's case but then he kept claiming that he cared about it it was so all I can say is go listen to Sarah's podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got to be manipulative to not have gotten charged yet. Yeah. And the more you listen to this guy talk, the more you get upset with him knowing all these details. So the last one is the taunting confessions. I'll read that if you want me to. Okay. She says, I met with my father in October of 2017. A few months after his release from prison, remember he went to prison for all the weapons he had in his house? Mm -hmm. So he got 10 years for that. So he got out in 2017. It was the first time we had spoken to each other without the prison recording our conversation in 10 years. Wow. After realizing I wasn't there to reconnect, he became angry. In addition to a slew of shocking and disgusting statements about Alyssa, he also taunted me with the closest thing to a confession we will probably ever have. He said, quote, Be at the deathbed, Sarah, and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear. So he then agreed to tell me everything if the state agreed to give him lethal injection within 10 days of his confession. What? Well, that says a lot right there. Basically, if he says everything... He will be He charged. wants to die? Is well, what he's saying? Like, instead of serving time. Yeah, but at the same time, it, he's claiming innocence, but then he says this. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you everything if the state will agree to, to give me the death penalty within 10 days. As in no death row, which is probably the most 
tormented, torturous place you can be as a human being. Right. So he wants the easy way out, apparently. But just the fact that he's saying this is very incriminating. So again, if you go visit Sarah's website, Justice for Alyssa, you'll be able to listen to the audio that she recorded from that conversation. It's pretty enraging, but it continues. So when people ask me why I think my father killed Alyssa, that's a large piece of it. Because I sat across from him and he laughed at me, tried to intimidate me, and taunted me. He knows he did. He knows he did it, and he knows he's getting away with it. And you can hear the frustration in her voice when she has this conversation on the first episode of her podcast. Mm -hmm. She's trying so hard just to get him to tell her the truth, you know? And it just keeps going around in circles. It's like, tell me the truth. And he's like, there's nothing to tell it. And then she's like, why aren't you advocating for Alyssa? And he's like, Anyway, yeah. like I said, go listen to it. Um, so I, she continues, I've lost more friends and family members than I can count because of my conviction over this case. But tell me, if the police told you for years that your loved one's a pedophile, or that your loved one's pedophile murderer was finally going to be convicted of his heinous crimes, and then he wasn't? What would you do? <sighs> Again, she talked about how she was actually the last one to be convinced that her father had anything to do with it. The police. Oh, really? Yeah, the police actually, you know, they believed he was guilty from for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so did her siblings. Hmm. But she's the only one that's, at this point, willing to keep speaking up about it. So... Hmm. Wow. It's, I mean, we she really needs the support, you know? Yeah, definitely. Because she works really hard trying to get this story out there. If the police then sat you down and said, we all know who did this, but we've changed our minds. We aren't going to arrest him. What would you do? And then after realizing you're on your own, you meet with the killer and he taunts you with two near confessions, what would you do? If then the police ignore you and ignore potential, potential new leads, what would you do? Um, just a side note, John Quinones from What Would You Do <laughs> conducted an interview with Michael on 2020. Really? So it's kind of ironic <laughs> that what? she keeps saying, what would I you do? I want to watch that. I love that guy. I know. But anyway, not to get distracted. So she continues, What I'm going to do is scream to the whole world until Alyssa has justice. I'm going to abandon all fear of police retaliation, all fear of this destroying my career, and all fear of this consuming and destroying my life. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, and Alyssa would have done it for me. Hmm. What an awesome sister. I know. She, I mean, she's putting so much work into this. Yeah. Because she loves her sister and because she wants to help other people that still have hope. And, you know, it's at this point, you know, there's not much that can be done in her particular case mm -hmm. unless they make a huge evidence discovery. But... She talked to me about how uh, people have reached out to her about how much the story has helped them, and it's it's really cool. So, mm -hmm. again, we recommend you do everything you can to support Sarah because I mean, she's not trying to just get a conviction. She's not trying to just, you know, she wants the truth. She doesn't want it to be sensational. She just wants to find the truth. Right. You know? And based on all the things we've talked about over the last three weeks, there's too many coincidences. There's way too many. Like, like she said when she put them all together in that little article. I mean, it's just insane. 
Uh-huh. How could the police not read that and know? Well, that's <laughs> the, know. that's the annoying part. Is the police do know? They like, there's just no like I just evidence. read. They said we all know who did this, but we're not gonna yeah. press charges anymore. It's like clearly Michael has some. It, I don't even know. I don't want to diagnose anyone. And especially because when you actually listen to him talk, he sounds very sane, sounds very in control. But then you, like, the manifesto. I was just thinking that, yeah. Like, he sounds like he's a freaking madman. But then you hear him talk and he sounds so composed. So it really seems like he's just a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so annoying. But anyway, like I said at the beginning, we talked. Well, I talked to Sarah on the phone. The audio quality is not great, but hopefully in the future we'll talk to her again. Now that she's a podcaster, she, you know, we probably could set up a better quality interview in the future. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to talk to her and get her side of this story and how it impacted her, especially when everything went down when her father was arrested because... I'm pretty sure at that point she was kind of blissfully ignorant of of all these things and she didn't suspect her father at all, you know. Right. So it's it's a pretty crazy roller coaster that she's been on. So we're going to play that for you right now. In our minds there's no doubt that you're probably the person that's been affected the most by the disappearance of your sister and all the stuff that's come out since then about your father and if you don't mind We'd like to know just how it's all impacted you personally. Yeah, I mean, in every way, to be honest. You know, obviously him getting arrested when I was 18 really launched me into adulthood very quickly. Um, But even just finding out new details, like every day is just, it rewrites my memories, if you will. Um, You know, I'll tell a story to a family member from my point of view, and obviously I'm just a kid at the time, and they say, no, that's not how it happened. Um, And then my mind kind of adjusts accordingly. So it's really weird. Um, It's a strange feeling to not know what happened in your childhood, even when you were there. I mean, aside from it being emotional and difficult and separating me from my brothers, which is heartbreaking, it's just been a very strange experience. Um, But I'm still very thankful that it's made me so strong and able to take on you know, this journey. It's really cool what all the work that you've been doing, trying to get this all to move forward. How did you end up after you went to prison, if you don't mind talking about it? Oh, no, I don't mind at all. Um, I mean, it was hard. I've never been away from my father for that long. Um, and he was my only parent and kind of my best friend. Um, so it was extremely difficult. You know, I was given power of attorney. I was given the mortgage. Um, and I became his legal secretary, you know. I didn't always believe that he did it. I was really behind him a thousand percent um, and worked for him day and night, kind of like I do for Alyssa. You know, I started a website. I started a petition. I was on 2020 um, trying to explain that he was innocent. So it was it was really, it, it was similar to the journey I'm doing now, um, but obviously I was extremely wrong and not aware of so many facts that I know today. Um, so it was hard and I was still working hard and I think that helped me get through it emotionally, um, just being too busy to kind of see what was in front of me. And then, you know, eventually the 2020 episode came out. I found out that um, he, she was taken out of school early that day by him. I got a confirmation from my brother that she was being sexually molested. Um, and slowly but surely, my mind started to change. Wow. I can't imagine just, like, making that transition, but it's really amazing that you were able to transition from one side to the other once you realized what the truth was. So did you end up on your own then? Like, you have to live on your own and pay the mortgage and take care of all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I was fortunate that I was still receiving a portion of the benefits that he was receiving because I was under 21 at that point. So as far as, you know, the finances for the house, they were they're pretty much taken care of for the most part. Um, So, of course, I still worked and went to college and handled all those responsibilities. So I had some buffer that I was very thankful for. But in terms of, like, family support, yeah, I mean, I was on my own. And I'm the youngest of six, and I was given all the responsibility, um, and I just kind of handled it. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's. I mean, I was a little nervous to ask you 
I didn't know if you wanted to talk about all that, but I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. you know, it's amazing when you're able to, to move forward after such a huge thing happens in your life. Um, yeah, I mean, it, life is sink or swim, and that's for everybody, not just me. You know what I mean? So I, I saw very two clear choices ahead of me. I could let it destroy me, or I could just see it for what it is and try to move on and, and do the best I can with it and work towards the, you know, justice and what needs to happen. It's it's yeah. very black and white to me. Like, I never felt like I had a choice. It was just the right thing to do. That's awesome. So the investigators told you at some point that they knew that Michael was responsible for everything and that he had killed her and that he had abused her. Do you want to talk about how that kind of happened? Yeah. Um, so the first time I had it from them was actually the, the day of the raid. So by the time that um, the police came and raided our home, I was the family point person. So they had called me, you know, a day or two previously and said, um, we have some news. Will you come down to the station and talk to us? You know, and this is like my, my famous story. I'm like, yeah, I have a Spanish test. Will I be back in time? Because I'm in college and I'm not thinking that this is going to be like the, the craziest day of my life. Um, they're like, yeah, no problem. Come down to the station. And I go and sit down with them and they say, you know, we, we don't have news, um, but we believe that your father killed your sister and that he was also sexually abusing her pretty much her entire life. You also have another sister you don't know about. Um, what do you think about your dad now? Wow, that's crazy. And, and that's what it was. It was shock value. I think that maybe they thought that I knew something that I wasn't telling them and that that would make me crack or confess or something, but I didn't know. And so right. when I hear it like that in a very blunt, abrupt way, that doesn't sink into me either. You know, it it, it kind of yeah. just rolled off my shoulders, to be honest. I'm thinking that they're just being cruel. Well, yeah, it's it does sound kind of insensitive, the delivery. Yeah, it was a long approach to take with me, if we're being honest. Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't agree. do well with things like that. Um, I think most people don't. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it was hard. It was it, it was really crazy to hear, and it I didn't absorb it at all. Right. I think that's an interesting part of it. Is a lot of time investigators and police are a little calloused when dealing with people that, you know, have nothing to do with the bad things that have happened. Kind of always suspicious of people, even if they have no idea what's going on. And you didn't, you had no idea all the stuff that was hidden in the house? No. I mean, I knew that he had guns, but I couldn't tell you what a legal gun versus an illegal gun looks like even today. Like, my whole yeah. life, I, you know, I'd grown up with my brothers going out shooting and my dad just loving guns and it's Arizona so lots of people are like that and um so I just thought all the guns were normal you know there was one underneath the couch cushion um in the living room it was just very normalized to me but I mean in terms of bombs no you know when I think back I remember him welding like metal containers together but I but I want to say that even the bombs were like PVC pipe so I he was always like crafty and doing weird things but um did I ever think it was a bomb? Like, absolutely not. Right. It was dad doing projects. That's all you saw yeah. as. Well, and even further, you know, they say that there were, and I believe them. Like, I'm not saying the police planted them or the police are lying. But, you know, supposedly there were all these bombs inside of this van in our backyard. And me and my friend would go out there and smoke all the time, like, in the van with these supposed bombs. So, I, like, it's hard to reconcile that for me. That's just crazy. I know that you decided to confront Michael in 2017. So at, were the investigators behind that? They say they had your back at first? No. So I don't I don't think I told them before I did it. Okay. Um, I think I just gave them the recording after. All right. So no, I mean, they weren't a part of it in any way. And at one point, the commander later kind of snarled at me and said, you know, it's my understanding that you covertly tried to get some type of interview with your father covertly like they're supposed to know every interaction you have with your family or something or you know that i was recording him secretly to which i stated you know arizona is a one-party consent state i am absolutely within my rights to record him and in fact he taught me that like oh interesting but but i felt like you know it was just it was just a side remark so i don't know the, the oh, two detectives so. that were around were wonderful and whoever is in charge now is just absolutely awful oh that sucks so the original detectives were taken off? Yeah, just a few days before my father was released from prison, they were reassigned. I was told that there is no longer a cold case unit. 
which me uh, at 20 something, um, believed it at first. And now I'm thinking back, like what an idiot I was to think that, that the city of Phoenix is very large metropolitan city would just say, Oh, we don't have a cold case unit anymore. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. Still excited for him to get out of prison and or still excited for him to get arrested when he gets out of prison. Like okay. I didn't think to second guess them. I I just thought it was, you know, that the case was over. They were planning on prosecuting. These guys are done with the job now and they're gonna be reassigned. So from an outside perspective it seems like the new guys just wanted to be done with this case and you know, it was just a few days before he got out. I mean, I tend to believe that the two detectives that were on the case that did this for 10 years cared very much. And if it were up to them, I think that they would have liked this to be prosecuted. Um, I, I spoke to one of the detectives a few years later at an event for uh, missing people in Arizona. And he spoke to me and the producer of the Missing Alyssa podcast off the cuff for hours. And he was so, so passionate and knew the details backwards and forwards. Like, it, I don't think it's a matter of they were over it. Um, I think something stopped this case from going forward. And what um, that is, I don't know. But I, I don't understand why you allocate 10 years of resources and money and, and all these things to literally just drop it and not go through with it. Well, I'm sorry if it happened. That's got to be frustrating. That's the worst part is them setting these expectations and then wildly not exceeding them. Like, had I not been told that there would be a prosecution, I wouldn't be this upset. Had I not been told there'd be a billboard every freeway in Phoenix with a name, name and picture on it, I wouldn't be this upset. Like, yeah, they just so they, lie. Yeah, they let you on and then let you down. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they don't feel like they have enough information to convict him. But what, what do you think? Do you think he'd be found guilty if he was prosecuted with all the info that's out there? Yeah, I mean, I think if we can get all of this admitted into court as circumstantial evidence, absolutely. What can be admitted? I don't know, to be honest. And that's always been kind of the question mark. Um, However, I stand behind that we're not setting a precedent and that other cases in Maricopa County have been tried and won with less circumstantial evidence and without a body. Like, it's nothing new. It's nothing they haven't done in the past many times and been successful at. So why they're choosing this one case to not move forward, I don't know. Yeah, it's just going through just the circumstantial evidence. I mean, it's almost endless how many things there are that, I mean, you listed five specific things, but it's just so much to think about. It really seems like a jury would find these things too suspicious to overlook, especially since he's the last person that saw her. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything surrounding the time right before she went missing is just extremely suspicious. And then, yeah, I mean, and the the blog is really my top five reasons I could go on forever. And I mean, we have circumstantial evidence of him being violent and deceptive back to the 70s when he helped cover up an attempted murder. Like, the police know this. The police told me that they understand that my father helped cover up that attempted murder. It's a pattern of behavior that we can establish for his entire life. Yeah, and that he's willing to do anything to avoid getting in trouble, basically. Absolutely. Wow. So what are the biggest things that you want everyone to know about your sister's story? Well, I mean, in terms of prevention, I want people to know that it's okay to speak out. Like, I, I've been so fortunate. So many people have come and said that they felt comfortable speaking out in their certain situations because of Alyssa. So, I mean, if anything... As a justice aside, like, let's learn from this story and let's be okay with not keeping these family secrets anymore. Like, end the cycle of abuse. Let's end these patterns. Speak up. And if 25 people don't help you like they didn't help Alyssa, go to the next person. Go to the authorities. Don't be afraid. I want people to know that this is preventable. I'm so glad you said that. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the biggest focus of our podcast is trying to help people to not think about the shame that they might have if they ever speak up, but know that people will support them if if they're willing to speak up and say what's happened to them, that they deserve to not be mistreated and not be abused. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, times are changing. You know, we're not in the era anymore of it's shameful, keep it to yourself. Like there's so many organizations and there's so much support in the online community. Like there's so many people that are willing to help in those situations. Like just, yeah, don't be afraid. It's 2019. Let's, let's not keep this in dark corners anymore. 
Yeah. I don't want to take up too much of your time. If there's anything else that you want to share with our audience or anything that you just really want people to know, feel free to say whatever you want and we'll make sure it gets out there. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. No, I mean, in terms of like how to help Alyssa's story, I would love to have some type of miracle solution and say that going to the DA works and that going to the police works. But at this point, it's about making it too large to ignore. I think it's my only my only hope is literally for this to be blown out of the water like a making a murderer. Make it yeah. so big that they can't deny it anymore. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it would work, and hopefully we'll get to a certain point where something will be done, or at the very least, people will hear the story, and like you said, it'll have a positive impact on other girls or boys that have been abused and haven't had the courage to speak up yet. Hopefully it'll help. So we want to thank Sarah for taking the time to talk to us and share her personal impact. If nothing else, hopefully this story will be able to help other people who are being secretly abused and scared into keeping it silent. And hopefully they can feel safe enough to share their own stories because, you know, if you hold it inside and keep it secret, it keeps doing more harm than good. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, um... That wraps this episode up. Do you wanna? Did you wanna say something? <laughs> I wanted to say hi to Angie and her son Tristan because I forgot earlier, and they had come up to us at the festival and said how much they appreciated the podcast. And you guys were so sweet, and so mm-hmm. I wanted to say hi. And hopefully, you guys are doing well. Hopefully, you're home safe. Yeah. Hi, Angie and Tristan. <laughs> I wish we would have gotten a picture together. I know. Tristan's shirt was so covered with um, stickers and pins by the end of the day. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I wanted to flag them down and take a picture with them. But I know. Me too. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Um, let's talk about our store because we keep on getting people asking about T-shirts and stuff. Oh, yeah. If well, you our, want a t-shirt, where do we go, Ryan? VOVpodcast.threadless.com. Okay. And, yeah, it's pretty simple. And we do have a new design, right? Oh, yeah. It's not up yet. but I made it all by myself. <laughs> we will be sure to announce it when it's available. But Rosie is in it. I am. I. And, it's me. it's really cool i like it a lot thank you i do too um i really liked your post that you made on our way home from chicago oh yeah i was was, uh, on instagram yeah thank you we were in a a wormhole of true crime on youtube yeah at that time well okay going to this festival was so cool because it really reminded me of why we do what we do getting to meet people and make human personal connections Mm -hmm. it reminds you of the actual humanity behind every story you cover or that we cover and you know just meeting people that appreciate it means so much but you know it's it, it was just inspiring to be around even people that hadn't heard us before just talking to them having meaningful conversations we really enjoyed it Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, yeah, and I got some really good advice from Justin, which I will talk about on our Patreon episode. AKA because I don't the wanna... Big Cheese. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I've dubbed him with that name. Yeah, I'm not sure if he actually likes it, but... Yes, he does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, But, yeah, we're going to play the promo for sarah's podcast so be sure to stick around for that and we also have a promo for strictly homicide podcast so um also stay tuned for that we have a couple patrons to thank too oh yeah do you have their names stop trying to wrap this up ryan i'm sorry you i I was just trying to be considerate because you were so tired well okay (laughs) 40 minutes ago you were like i can't do this i was dead (laughs) and i still am dead and my house is a wreck yeah yeah we're still very lagged from the weekend and on sunday morning i woke up with like this terrible 
because I have TMJ disorder. I had this terrible jaw pain, like, between my ear and the top of my jaw bone. And it's still there. It's been, like, four days, and every time I bite down, it hurts really bad. So I think I got to go get that taken care of. But Boring. Can we move on? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Do you have the people's names up? (laughs) Oh, I thought you had them. No, I don't. Okay. Well, I'm working on it. You Man, we talk are about, so off oh, the cuff. Do you want to talk about what I accidentally did this morning? Cat news? No. What'd you do? Oh, you oh. spilled a bunch of catnip on a cat's back? Okay. <laughs> that? Yeah. So this morning, like, right when I woke up, I was really, you know, exhausted. Um, and <laughs> the cats were out of actual dry food today, this morning we have temptations treats and so i was gonna just dump some of those out for the cats to be able to you know stay alive while we were at work until we could get dry food but i thought i had the temptations bag and i went to dump it out on the floor and zook zucchini was walking around underneath it and then i as it came out of the bag, I realized it was catnip. So I dumped catnip all over Zook's back first thing this morning. So the cats had a pretty loopy day. And when <laughs> we got home, there was puke and poop all over the floor. Um, No, not all over the floor. I don't know what happened, but our house is not nasty like that. I just meant messy. Well, it was just from today. But anyway, n- I wouldn't recommend giving your cats catnip for breakfast (laughs) so that's that okay so patrons (laughs) the first one is someone that wants us to refer to her as lips that's weird but okay (laughs) thank you (laughs) yes thank you lips (laughs) i just feel like weird saying that i don't know why i feel so odd (laughs) lips (laughs) there you go (laughs) And also, we want to thank Elodie. Elodie. It's like Melody, except Elodie. Thank you. Thank you. I like your name. Um, Yeah, and she also left us some really sweet comments on Instagram on your post. Oh, she did? Yeah, that's the same person that commented on your Instagram post. That is so nice. Yeah, really sweet. Thank you for all the support you've given us. Uh, let's see. I think we're all caught up. I think so, too. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap her up? No, I'm ready for tacos now. Well, really? Mm-hmm. But it's Wednesday. I know. It's okay. Well, I gotta edit. Yeah, I know. Okay, so after I post? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you got it. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we love you guys. We appreciate all of your support, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, y'all. Nikki T here to tell you about my new Arkansas-focused true crime podcast. I'll be covering lesser-known cases out of the natural state. So join me on Mondays for all new episodes. You can find Strictly Homicide Podcast on most podcatchers, including iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon by searching for Strictly Homicide Podcast. And on Twitter at Strictly H-M-I-C-I-D-E. Y'all stay safe. is 17-year-old Alyssa Marie Turney. Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Turney. On this episode, we're going to tackle a mystery out of Phoenix, Arizona, with a lot of disturbing twists and turns. 17-year-old Alyssa Turney vanished. Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Marie Turney. Disappearance of Alyssa Turney. And today's a really exciting episode because we are talking about the case of Alyssa Turney. Okay, so today we are doing um, Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Marie Turney was a 17-year-old from Phoenix, Arizona. And someone reached out to me there and said, we 
would you please cover the story of my missing sister? Um, and ever since, I have essentially been uh, in contact, I think daily, with uh, Sarah. Her name is Sarah Turney, and her sister is Alyssa. But do the clues to Alyssa's disappearance point much closer to home? Mike was watching his own children through a video camera. Alyssa had told them very graphic things, very disturbing things. Secret home movies, a warehouse packed with evidence, and a cold case that turns hot. Again, there's only two people that can confirm whether I did it. One is me, and the other is Alyssa. A family torn apart. My name is Sarah Turney, and you might have heard of my sister Alyssa's story before. Be there at the deathbed, Sarah, and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear. Why aren't you giving to me now? Because you got them now. But I promise that you've never heard it like this. On Voices for Justice, I'm going to dive deep into Alyssa's case like never before. I'm going to interview people you've never heard from, and I'm going to expose more about the police, my family, and myself than ever before. I'm not asking you to move forward on it. I'm asking you to acknowledge that he wasn't briefed on the case, which you're not going to do, and I understand, but he wasn't. He said that he was aware that there were no sexual allegations, which is completely crazy to me because there's over 25 people in your documents that allege this. So when he says that, I don't know what he's talking about. I've held back a lot for a long time, and I'm ready to release it on my own terms. The police told me that my best chance is media exposure, and I've been working for years to amplify my voice through others. But now, I'm ready to make some noise. Subscribe to Voices for Justice today on iTunes and most podcast players. Allegations, as you say, were people saying Alyssa said something had happened, um, you know, he tried something, but there weren't any specific acts. Alyssa had told them very graphic things, very disturbing things. Whatever you'd like to say, I'm not going to go round and round. It's all email is public record, and I'm happy with that. Okay.